Uh, I, don't, I haven't asked you to do this as we read scripture before, um, but I would like, if you are able, for you to stand while I read the scripture today. Uh, the reason I want to do this is this, um, I mean this book, but this chapter especially, is communicating the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. And I think standing will help to capture the awe and the reverence that we're supposed to have as we read this. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read, starting right at the beginning, uh, all the way through. So if you're ready. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. For every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. You can be seated. Father, as we approach this text, I am in awe of your son Jesus, and I am humbled as I, I sat and prepared uh, this sermon to, to humbly present your word to your people. And I, and I just um, was face-to-face at my own inadequacy to portray the amazingness of Jesus in light of my own sin and failings, Father, but I pray, um, and I just, I thank you too, Father, for despite all of our sins, despite all of our imperfections, that you have chosen us, human beings, uh, to love and to forgive and to make into a priesthood for you, to to speak for you and to, to draw other people to you. And I pray as we work through this text that you will use it to shape and transform our hearts and our minds and our actions. 
uh, so that we look more and more like your son, Jesus, so that we can point others to him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we take a look at this chapter, um, I'm just going to give you right up front what I think this chapter is about, so you don't have to uh, search too hard. Hopefully you don't take that as a, an excuse, or like if I have the main point, I can just leave. Hopefully you'll stick around. Um, but what I think this chapter is about is that we are called to worship Jesus because he is worthy of it. Pretty simple for a, a long and dense chapter, but I think that captures the heart of what is being said here. Uh, now, as a pastor, I'm called to take the, God's word and to explain it clearly to God's people so that they, in their current lives, and their current situations, begin, can begin to live it out in God's way, right? Uh, and that living it out in God's way is what we might call making it practical, the application aspect. And so um, when I'm called to preach, I'm called to make it relevant, I think a lot of people would say. And when you hear that verse, that the main bulk of this chapter is to worship Jesus because he deserves it, you might hear that and you might go, well, that doesn't sound very practical. What am I supposed to do with that? Um, besides worship, of course, right? Uh, but that's, I would push back against that statement because it assumes that worship doesn't do anything to you. And I don't believe that. Part of that is a misunderstanding of worship as just songs, which, by the way, singing worship to God is a good and a transformative act. But worship encompasses all that we do and all that we think and all that we say that brings glory and honor to God. And when we begin to view worship that way and we begin to view it as, it, it really becomes one of the most transformative acts that we can do. Because as we worship, even as we sing, we begin to desire God. And therefore, we begin to desire the things that God desires. And we begin to hate the things that God hates. And you can't have that happen to you without being transformed. But I will give you this. When I look at this chapter, the reason that I am calling you to worship, and far more importantly, the reason I believe this chapter is calling you to worship Jesus Regardless of all the things that worship does to you, and I believe that's a lot, the reason we are called to worship is because Jesus is worthy of it. And I think that's what this chapter is about. Um, and as we dig in, I think it really draws out three reasons specifically that Jesus is worthy of our worship. Obviously, there is a lot more. It's a very dense chapter. Um, but we are limited on time, so I want to I draw out the main points to you and then encourage you guys this week, dive into this chapter, mine it for all the spiritual ore it's worth, because I think there is a lot more here than we'll be able to cover in this sermon. But three things specifically I want to draw out to you. And the first one is this. Jesus is worthy of our worship because only Jesus can and only Jesus will bring about full and final justice. Now, as you hear that, and you let that sink in, you might look at the beginning of this chapter, because I'm talking about the first five verses here, and you may look and go, the word justice is not mentioned anywhere in those first five verses. Furthermore, some of you might have heard the word justice thrown a lot in, around in the news and in our culture, and you may have all sorts of different views on what justice is and, 
and what it actually accomplishes. And I, I get that. The reason that I say justice here, the reason that I say that Jesus brings about full and final justice is because of what these first five chapters are about. It's talking about the seal in God's hand, the scroll in God's hand that is sealed. Now, from context, as we continue to read the chapter, and those seals are eventually opened up, what we see is that what happens is the final judgment. All of humanity's most evil and atrocious and oppressive acts are brought to judgment and they are finally made right. That is what justice is about. All evil is overturned and all that has been wrong in the world has been made right. That is what the Bible means by justice. And that is what we see accomplished here with this scroll. But not only that, if we look at it, we see that the scroll is written all the way on the front and all the way on the back. So we see that is where I, why I say we have full and final justice. Um, because as we continue reading as well, we will see that this is the last judgment. This is the final justice that God accomplishes. Right? And, and the reason Jesus is so deserving for worship as I, as I was studying this text and I was, I was thinking about it, the first thing that came into my mind uh, is a situation that many of you, I imagine, are familiar with in the news uh, about a criminal by the name of Jeffrey Epstein, who's no longer alive. Um, but if you're not familiar, this, this man was a billionaire, incredibly wealthy, incredibly connected to world leaders around the world. And he used that money and he used those connections to enslave children so that he can sell them to be abused by wealthy and powerful men around the world. It is one of the most disgusting and heinous acts that we uh, have heard of in a while. And as we look at that, we see this incredible injustice, and we look at how he ended, and we're like, he didn't even meet justice. And all these men around the world, they're not meeting justice either. They're too wealthy. They're too connected. They're too powerful. How are they going to meet justice? And this poses a problem for Christians because when we look at God, one of the things God says all throughout the Bible is that he is a just God. It is a characteristic of him. He bases his integrity, his character on bringing about justice. And yet all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, we see these great acts of injustice and these atrocious acts of evil committed again and again, and the human beings who commit them, it seems like they continue to escape justice. They continue to get away with it, whether because um, no one tries to enforce it, whether it's because they are too wealthy, whether it's because they're too powerful, or not even sometimes the wealthy and powerful, sometimes the, the, the lowly get away with it too because no one calls them on it. And so over and over again, you see these horrible acts committed and yet it seems to go unanswered. And so when we look at John as he's saying this, I think we can understand, because it says when he heard that no one could open the scroll, he wept. Now put yourself in John's shoes for a second. You see these atrocious acts committed. John, the last living apostle who's seen his friends and even his brother 
brutally murdered for following Jesus, who sees the church being persecuted over and over again, who sees these great acts of injustice in the Roman world, who when they have a baby that they don't want, they just throw on the street, who um, sees this conquering empire continue to conquer, to continue to oppress God's chosen people, and it go unanswered. He sees these evil, and his hope is that one day, injustice will be righted. One day, all that is wrong in this world will be made right. All that is broken in the fall will be healed. And so he sees that hope in the scroll and God's right hand. All justice, fully and completely, and finally, all justice. But then a question gets asked. Who is worthy to open the scroll? And that's where we run into a problem. You see, out of all of creation, out of all human beings who have ever existed, who do now exist, who will in the future exist, not a single being or creature is worthy to open the scroll. All have committed acts of injustice ourselves. All have committed evil ourselves. All are unable to complete justice correctly. Because that's one of the problems in history. You see, when people try to correct injustice, it quickly turns to vengeance. And vengeance is just a nice way of saying that those who set out to correct injustice commit injustice themselves. And so it looks for that second, that pause, that quiet where no one can answer that all that is broken will continue to be broken and all that is wrong will continue to be wrong. But that's not where the story ends. You see, immediately we see one of the elders say to John, do not weep. And that's where I want to pick up. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. I think if we are all honest with ourselves as human beings, we see the injustice in the world, we don't shut ourselves off from it, we see such evil and atrocious acts go unanswered time and time again, and we long for the day where it will be made right. And right here in the book of Revelation, it is saying, it will happen, and Jesus will accomplish it. So why do we worship Jesus? We worship Jesus because he is so worthy. All that is wrong in the world, he makes right. All the evil committed, he brings judgment to. All that is broken, he heals. This is why we worship Jesus. Of course, that leaves us in an interesting spot as Christians. If we know that we can never have full and final justice right here yet until Jesus brings it about, and we know that throughout history, whenever people try to bring about justice for themselves, they quickly turn it to vengeance and it's corrupted, does that mean we should just be silent and let it be? I mean, think about the world around us. When it comes to all the wrongs around us, we see genocide happening in China. We see racial violence still happening in this country. We see countless children murdered before they have the chance to be born. Is our role as Christians to silently wait for God? I mean, I think we are called to wait for God, but until then, what do we do? I don't think it's to be silent, by the way. 
As we look through the rest of the scripture, Old Testament and New, we are called to work towards justice. Just one example uh, we find in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and it says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So what does God require of human beings? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly, and to do all of that with God. Each of those inseparable. You see, justice, when we forget to love kindness, looks a lot like the church of Colossians. right? We see in 1 Colossians, Paul calls out uh, the church for a serious sin, a serious error. And then 2 Colossians, he writes, he's like, I'm glad you all look eager for justice to be done. But in your eagerness, don't forget mercy. You see, in their eagerness for justice, they had been heaping on to the sinner who was actually repentant. They forgot kindness. And remember, justice without kindness is vengeance, and it's another way of saying injustice. And not only that, walk humbly. You see, when we seek out justice so fiercely, we usually forget that we are actually committers of injustice ourselves. And all of this finally tied together with walking with God because we are broken and corrupted human beings because of the fall. We cannot tell what is just from what is evil most of the time unless God shows it to us. And so, yes, we are called to work towards justice, What does that look like? We are supposed to call out evil when we see it. We're to work towards ending evil when we see it. But in addition to that, we also should be the first to celebrate when someone repents, the first to welcome them back in, the first to offer mercy. We should fight hard for reconciliation as well as for justice. We should always do that humbly. We should always do that with the guidance of the Spirit of God. And so Jesus is worthy of our worship because only he can and only he will bring about full and final justice. Of course, that also leaves us in a bit of a predicament, doesn't it? Because if Jesus is about to bring about full and final justice, we have a problem. You see, each and every one of us, each and every human being who has ever existed, are not merely victims of injustice. In fact, we're not even just innocent bystanders. We are all, each of us, active perpetrators of evil and injustice in the world. And so if God is about to bring about justice, we should be worried. And yet, we see that the reason that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll of justice in this next section, in the next few verses, The reason may surprise you, but I'm going to read it for us to remind us what it says. And between the throne and the four living creatures, among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. I want to pause right there, by the way. Uh, Sometimes we read over scripture quickly and we miss some of the nuance. Think about that phrase for a second. Have you ever seen an animal standing as if it had been slain? No, because if an animal slain, it doesn't stand. (laughs) But John is trying to get us to visualize something that our finite brains cannot understand because it is infinite. And so he just paints a picture, and and the best we can grasp is close to it. But but continuing on, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to all the earth. 
And when he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And so we see that he was able to take the scroll. Now, when we see them worship Jesus, it says this, and they sang a new song, so this is verse 9, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for. So the reason Jesus is worthy to open the scroll and its seals for, right? Direct connection. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The reason Jesus is worthy is because only Jesus can bring about justice while still offering mercy to his people. Jesus can bring about justice in a way that does not destroy us all. Because left without Jesus, we are all deserving of being annihilated. Two theological terms I want you to store in your mind, and those are justification and imputation. They are at the heart of what the gospel is. Justification means we are made right before God. Our relationship is restored, and Jesus accomplishes this by imputation. Now, what does that mean? If you don't get the word, I don't care. I want you to get this, though. Jesus takes all of our, the guilt of our sin and he puts it on himself. And in its place, he gives us his righteousness, his guiltlessness, his adoption by God and his eternal life. He takes our guilt and then all of the wrath, the just wrath, all of the punishment and the consequences for our sin, he pours out on himself in our place. This is what the gospel is. This is what Christianity is. All the evil that we have ever committed, Jesus takes the guilt and puts it on himself. He takes the punishment. He pours it out on himself. And in its place, he gives us life. He gives us righteousness. He gives us a restored relationship forever with God. And so why is Jesus worthy of worship? It's because Jesus saved us from his wrath, because Jesus took our sin in our place and gave us his righteousness and his life. What an amazing God we serve, that he stepped down out of all the privileges of being God, out of, even though he was fully righteousness, he never sinned himself and he was fully justified in annihilating us for our sins. Instead, he stepped down into humanity. He took the guilt and the punishment and gave us back nothing but mercy and forgiveness if we just repent from our sins. Of course, before we move on from this point, I want to draw something else out. Uh, oftentimes when we think of the gospel, we think about it for ourselves, which we should. It's an amazing thing, right? And, and even though it's the basics of Christianity, hopefully we never move past it. We're never so mature that we lose our awe over the fact that Jesus did this for us. But I think we also need to remember that Jesus did this for all Christians. And so when I am sinned against by my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and they've done something against me, I know that Jesus doesn't let it go unanswered. But remember, he takes their guilt in their place too. Not just in my place but in their place. 
And so who do I go to make things right? I go to Jesus who took it upon himself. And so I'm free to forgive this person because Jesus brought about justice for it. And by the way, he did the same thing for you. I am free to forgive because I have myself been forgiven. But I don't want to leave you with the idea that the only reason to worship Jesus is because of what he's done. Because if we keep reading, what we'll find that is that even before the Son of God became a human being and took our sin in our place, he was even then worthy of our worship. What we'll see is this interesting thing where first the elders who represent humanity sing worship to Jesus for all that he has done for us. But then we see the angels join in, and then we see the rest of creation join in. Now, as I was reading this, I was actually thinking of a scene in one of the books from the Chronicles of Narnia. Who's read the Chronicles of Narnia here? Well, only a few, less than I thought. I'm going to read this part. So in one of his books, The Magician Nephew, C.S. Lewis uh, has his main characters um, enter into this unformed world. It's just a blank slate uncreated. And this is where we catch up with them in the scene. It says, In the darkness, something, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath him. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it. But far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently, one by one, as on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness. Next moment, a thousand, thousand points of light leaped out. If you had seen it and heard it as Diggory did, you would have felt quite certain that it was the first voice, the deep one, which had made them appear and made them sing. Now, C.S. Lewis is drawing upon a theological tradition that dates back to the earliest days of Christianity, and it's one that you see also in Tolkien and his Silmarillion, and that's this idea where, where theologians try to visualize what creation looked like, and they, they pictured it as when God spoke all things into existence, he actually sang to it, and as it was creating the creation process, all of creation sang back to him. Now, whether when God spoke, he just made a simple statement or whether he sung it into existence is speculation, we do know that creation will sing to God. We see that here in the book of Revelation that all creation and the myriads and myriads and thousands, thousands of angels join in. You see, this is the point of creation. All of creation, including us, were made to worship God. Jesus as creator. And so all of creation at the end of time when all has been made right 
will join into this glorious worshiping singing that will go on and on through the centuries. It will be an amazing, amazing thing that I think as beautiful as the images we might have in C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, I don't think it will even begin to rival what we will experience when we see it for ourselves and hear it for ourselves. You see, at the end of the day, Jesus is worthy of worship, not just for what he did, but for who he is. And that is why we should worship Jesus. I don't want to miss on this point, though. See, it's, it's interesting. All of creation sings about the glory of Jesus as it rightly should. But God made human beings unique for a purpose. And he gave us this incredible privilege that the rest of creation does not have. You see, while creation praises God for who he is, and we rightly join into that, only human beings can praise God for his mercy and forgiveness towards us. It is a part of Jesus' innate character to be merciful and forgiving. It is part of God's character to offer mercy. And yet, it is only revealed to human beings because he allowed human beings to not only sin, but then to be redeemed as well. And so when we worship Jesus, let us worship him for who he is and in of himself. And let us worship him for the amazing, glorious gift of the gospel. And so I'll, I can think of no better way to respond to this section of scripture than to do just that in our time together, to worship Jesus through prayer and through song. And so that's how we're going to close out our time. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son. And, and you were just incredibly glorious and beautiful. And I pray that you would guide us in our worship for you. Amen. Thank you.